If you're looking for the latest breakdown and breaking news on this season's 90 Day Fiance. What? No. This is not that podcast. No. Although, there are plenty of those out there. This, however, is comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. Welcome to a special edition of Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. Coming to you from Orlando, Florida. Yes, we're on vacation, and yet we are still providing you with the quality podcasting entertainment that you expect from us. Every bit of it. <laughs> Every bit of it. Every bit that you deserve. I am yeah. Stan the Movie Man. I review films when there are films to review at StanTheMovieMan.com, also monthly at WIMZ.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan, and you can follow the podcast at CT Marriage. Have a question or comment for us? Send us an email at comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. And there is also a link in the description of this podcast that uh, will let you send us an audio message. Should you want to do that, feel free. Just click the link. I'm not sure how, I, how or if I can incorporate it in the podcast, but I will certainly try. Uh, joining me, as always, is my significant and most trusted better half. Aww. 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 That's sweet. Um, I am Maud the Extra Broad. You, extra you, you broad. You always give me such descriptions that make me sound so extra, so I'm extra today. Okay, all right. Besides, I got no other adjective to really fit with what we just watched all. Well, okay. Uh, what we just watched, by the way, is the last in our series of uh, spooky Halloween movies. Ooh. Unless I change my mind and watch something else spooky at a later date. Anyway, uh, we watched The Exorcist from 1973. Not the terrible uh, Exorcist 2 with... Um, Richard Burton as the priest. Uh, not the very good Exorcist Three with uh, George C. Scott as the uh, uh, police detective talking to the mass killer uh, who may be possessed by a demon. But the original, the OG, the granddaddy, the one that kicked them all off. The goat. The goat. Uh, it, of course, stars Linda Blair Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Lee J. Cobb, Jason Miller, and more. Uh, you know the story. A uh, little girl, 12-year-old girl, that gets possessed by a demon. And a priest who has lost his faith is uh, brought in to investigate and then help with the um, exorcism along with a... Um, elderly and experienced priest played by Max von Sydow or Cito, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Yeah. Um, and um, the rest is cinematic history. Uh, the film was both a huge uh, critical and financial success as well as uh, leading to the burning of um, uh, several uh, Ouija boards across the planet, including yeah. one by my brother. Uh, we had had, you know, they sell, maybe they still do, sell Ouija boards in the toy aisle. In the, yeah, in the, in the game section, which, ew, no. Well, if you know the history of Ouija, or Ouija, um, uh, 
it has no real religious significance other than the sort of things you make up in your own head. I don't care. The chick from the Dead Files don't like them, so that's good <laughs> enough for me. Oh, okay. We may get to that later. But uh, when my brother saw The Exorcist in its original run... In the theater? Yes. Oh. He came home and took my uh, sister's Ouija board out back behind the house in the woods and burned it, which, as I understand it, is, if you believe in this stuff, the worst way to dispose of a Ouija board because burning it somehow gives the spirits power and releases them and kill it, I don't know. kill it with fire, kill yeah. it with fire. So anyway, that was probably a bad idea and 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 might explain um, some stuff. Well, nothing really because <laughs> um, we were perfectly happy and had a perfectly lovely life. Um, but uh, yeah, this uh, this movie caused people to pass out. Um, uh, to run out of the theater and vomit. Um, it uh, led to sort of a religious awakening and a backlash uh, against the depiction of this sort of thing in films. There were women who actually went into premature labors. There were women who attributed their premature labors and or miscarriages to having seen the movie having seen the movie yeah um it, it i i was a kid i was like nine years old when this came out and i remember such the controversy and and the stir surrounding this thing there were there were issues related to how it was rated um there was an x rating attached to it i think for a period of time just because of the graphic content that was portrayed mm -hmm. here um, I think they originally downed that to an R rating um, to make it more accessible to more people. But um, I, I, it was. I remember a, a girl at my church mm -hmm. who was 17 or 18. She went to see it with a bunch of her friends, and she slept with her parents in their room for like a month after. <laughs> And looking at the imagery and the content portrayed here, I can't really... It's not wrong. Yeah. Um, it scared a bunch of people to death. When, you know, because of our situation here at this condo where we're staying, uh, we You may hear ambient racket. You may hear ambient racket, but I couldn't, act, I couldn't plug in our various streaming boxes because you have to give permission... Uh, or you have to accept the terms and conditions of the complex's Wi-Fi, and that can only be done through a web browser. And since none of our bo streaming boxes uh, have web browser pages, I couldn't attach. I couldn't get on the Wi-Fi with with these streaming boxes, um, and so we ended up watching the movie on a very old <laughs> MacBook. Uh, with a like a 13 inch screen um and i am sure that if you were in a dark theater where the your entire field forward field of vision was filled with this imagery such as that very iconic it they turned it into the poster of um, uh, when the old priest gets out of the cab and Father is standing, standing in front of the house with the fog and rolling in. 
and I think they also may have used this, another image from that scene in a poster as well where she opens the door and he's standing there in silhouette uh, with the fog behind mm -hmm. him and all of that. Um, I am sure that if you saw it in a theater, it had a much more visceral impact on its audience, especially audiences in the 70s who weren't used to the kind of special effects uh, and the kind of language coming out of the mouth of a 12-year-old mm -hmm. that you get in um, The Exorcist. It's, it is a groundbreaking film on several levels um, and, um, you know, is something that while... I think visually it holds up. Oh my the gosh, cinematography yes. and the special effects are yeah amazing. I was actually surprised at how transcendent the visuals in this movie actually are. Mm -hmm. You don't, I mean, the the place where she's levitating up off the bed, mm -hmm. the places where the entire bed is shaking, and then mm -hmm. the bedposts are pounding up and down off the floor. Um, that that still looks real convincing. Yeah, uh, there's one scene where they open the door and everything in the room is flying around. Lots of forty five. Lots records. of forty five records. That? Now for you young kids, that's how we used to listen to music, um, and you didn't have to download anything. You actually had to go and buy it with money in a store. In a store that had an entire section set off just for. 45s and LPs. Uh -huh. It was quite the dark ages. It really was. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, 45s and, and clothes and pe loose papers and everything's just flying around the room. It's like a tornado in the room. Yeah. Everything is flying around in a circular uh, and it's, pattern. It's, it's, uh, it's freezing cold in there. You can see their breath. Um, That's and the presence of the devil. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> I think, as I recall, they created a like a cold room where they could lower the temperature down to like near freezing, mm -hmm. so that they had that, they so essentially they shot it in a freezer um, to to get get that particular effect. And I'm sure yeah, it worked uh, that um, it uh, probably added to the performances of the people who had to spend hours and hours and hours in that room, um, you know, uh, in this freezing cold, seeing their breath and having to, having to deal with all the stuff going on. Mm -hmm. The physical discomfort. Yeah. Um, lent a, a note of reality to those performances. Um, I... It, did I read, I think I read on the wiki page that it was nominated for like 10 Academy Awards its year? Yes. Um, it, it, it won two of the technical awards, but it didn't win any of the... Uh... But it was the first horror movie nominated for Best Picture. Yes. And horror, yeah, that's accurate. Um, there's a lot of really iconic stuff that comes out of this film. I mean, it's been... It has been so absorbed into the American pop culture vernacular. It has been parodied so often. Mm -hmm. I mean, you 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 hear the references to you know the the girl spitting up pea soup. Mm -hmm. The vomit scenes are actually much more disturbing than that. 
Um, I don't do well with vomit in real life, to, but to have it so graphically portrayed by this, this, this person, this being whose face has been so expertly and disturbingly distorted by such great makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, the makeup, the sound design, um, the special effects, and um, the film score all are hugely part of American fabric now. Yeah. Um, uh, the the voice of Reagan when she's possessed, um, um, Mercedes Cambridge, um, she deserves every possible award there could possibly be uh, for any, you know, I don't know if there are, I'm sure there are voiceover awards of some sort, but um, her her performance and the way that uh, Linda Blair perfectly lip synced mm-hmm. what she said. Um, she could but, deliver a line. <laughs> well, either 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 she lip synced it or uh, Mercedes matched her, the movements of her mouth. Either, Either way, way, it was perfectly done, and I am a I am a stickler for any kind of lip syncing. I generally don't like it, but of course, in this kind of situation, it's it's essential mm-hmm. that it be done. the The delivery of the lines and the words. Mm-hmm. I mean, every <laughs> I'm not too you know easily offended by language, but there are two. That, that bother me, and of course both of them are repeated several times in this movie, and every other bad word you can imagine, and every other offensive, creepy thing that's like off the ick scale yeah, is, yeah. is, you know... Of course, she's the devil, yes, so well, yes. the, the devil don't care what he say. Um, yeah, she, well, she is Pazuzu. Um, is is the the demon. name of the demon? Uh, now that's never said in the movie. Uh, it may have been in the book. Maybe. But well, she says she's the devil. Yeah, she's no. That's what she says. But she's you know, delusions uh, of grandeur, lying, whatever. Of course. Uh, but um, in, on the wiki page, Mercedes McCambridge is credited as the voice of Pazuzu, <sighs> and a woman, Eileen Dietz, is the face of Pazuzu. Uh, we see a couple of times, two or three times, an image of this white face with the black circles around the eyes and big teeth. It's kind of skeletal, kind of yeah. gargoyle, yeah. kind of extremely creepy. Um, and I don't know, we watched the special extended edition, uh, the director's cut on uh, iTunes, um, and... I don't know if this was added to the director's cut or if it's in the original, but um, when things really start to kick off with uh, Linda Blair um, and her um, uh, her behaviors and her actions start to really pick up, there's a, a scene where Ellen Burstyn uh, comes home and the lights are flashing in the house, and the phone is ringing, but apparently nobody's on the phone when she answers it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the lights blink a time or two more, and you see that face for just a frame, mm-hmm. it seems like. Um, 
on the stove vent on hood. The, on the, yeah, on the stove vent hood. It's, you had to say, did you see that? And I'm like, see what? I just barely saw it uh, the first time. And then we, we wound it back and watched it frame again. Frame by frame. And it's like, ew! <laughs> it's Creepy! A, it's a... It almost seems like it, it almost doesn't fit. So I'm thinking maybe this is a special edition uh, insert, but... I don't know, but it's the subliminalness. Yeah, there's. It's just. That's totally a word, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> totally. Yeah, use that in Scrabble next time. See how that goes. Subliminalness. Um, it's it almost felt out of place for them to do that. That is more of a modern schlock horror sort of. Um, yeah, we need to, we need to do more research and see if it's actually in there. If it is actually in there from the '73 original release, cut, maybe that's where schlock horror modern got it. Well, you know, I mean, it's very mild compared to some of the things you see in modern horror movies. Um, you know, the killer standing behind somebody who doesn't know that they're mm -hmm. standing behind them or and a flash of lightning reveals them back yes, there um, yeah. um, or like when when we watched it and i said now watch the librarian in the back of the shot when the when the fat kid is sitting in the library doing doing research mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she just stares at him from the back of the library which is something you wouldn't normally notice but it just it just stuck out to me mm -hmm. But that's that's the kind of thing that that shot reminds me of. It's just the the warning that something is coming, yeah. even though it's a horror movie. Of course, something's coming. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's an it's an interesting little tidbit of filmmaking that uh, just to me felt a little out of place, which is why I think it's an addition. But I don't know. I need to do some more research it on it. It could be, and we should. Yes. Now, Linda Blair, um, a child actress, um, and if you're unfamiliar with uh, her, it's, you know, she had sort of a, after a couple of films, she sort of went off the rails a little bit. She had some uh, substance abuse issues mm -hmm. and um you know had had problems along the way <clears throat> but um in this in this performance she's such you feel you have empathy for her because she's such a sweet little girl yeah who's who loves horses and and she's a child of privilege because her mother is an actress um, and uh, she's having all these experiences at a very young age. Um, uh, they're they're in Washington D.C. to shoot a her mother shooting a movie. Uh, so you know, in their free time, they go and explore the city or or whatever. And um, they've got a team of people with right. them, a, like a they've got like a nanny a, and a, a maid. nanny, a butler, a tutor. Yeah. Um, so they're, yeah, they're, they seem to be well healed yes. and comfortable. Her mother has some fame. Yes. Um, and yeah, their relationship is portrayed early in the film as very warm and playful. Mm -hmm. They get along well. Mm -hmm. There are no issues there to be seen. I, 
I don't get what the catalyst was that flipped her devil switch. I don't know that there necessarily even was a catalyst that flipped her devil switch. It's if you're just, looking for a uh, definable reason, I I can I can't tell you. I can't find any causation either. Maybe there's more of it in the book, or maybe it's like um, um, Karis and um, Max von Sydow, um, Father Marin. Father Marin were talking about why this girl. And he said there is no reason other than, you know, she's she was there and just happened to be what that demon hooked on to. I want to give some shout-outs for acting. Mm-hmm. I have been a fan of Ellen Burstyn for decades. Mm-hmm. We see Ellen Burstyn young here, fresh-faced, um, troubled character once the once the manifestations begin to happen with her daughter fiercely protective mm-hmm. of her child um love ellen burston always have always will um jason miller as father Karras, mm-hmm. i ha- i had forgotten i mean i i have not seen this entire movie from start to finish in one sitting mm-hmm. i have seen bits and pieces of most of it over the course of decades and I think that my not sitting down to watch the whole thing has actually been a disservice to myself because Jason Miller's portrayal of Father Karras is tortured and brilliant. He, um, he, he's just, um, so conflicted and so, um, multi-layered I thought um, he had been a boxer he had been um, a psychiatrist and became a priest and of course he brings all of his boxing background and therapeutic credentials with him mm-hmm. um, his mother dies in the course of the film and that becomes a plot point and um, it is literally thrown back in his face. <laughs> um, and he's manipulated by this demon inside of Linda Blair. He mm-hmm. is, his guilt is, um, is picked open like a sore. And um, I just thought that his performance was really extraordinary. Yeah, um, he's... Because he's conflicted about his faith. Because yeah. he's, uh, I, I, it's not really a fair thing to say, but he's more grounded in reality than what we would normally get from a horror film about a possession. Because normally, when the priests show up, they are all in. They they know what it is, and they know you know that the only way they can fight it is to exercise the demon. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, he at one point says that the only way that uh, Reagan's going to get uh, uh, an exorcism if, is if she finds a time machine and goes back to the 16th century. Yeah, because they just don't do them anymore. Right, and he um, was, you know, he he's a he he's a man of faith, but he's also a scientist. Yes. And 
he believes that every one of these can be explained away by uh, mental illness uh, yeah, of various medical, types. Medical, science, something. Until he uh, meets her. And, of course, he, he kind of plays a trick on Pazuzu by throwing uh, plain water on uh, Reagan that he has said was holy water. Uh, but, um, also, she speaks backwards English, mm-hmm. um, which is something bizarre. Um, and he, he brought along a tape recorder because he told um, Ellen Burstyn that um, one of the signs of possession is speaking an unknown language. Yeah, something they, they hadn't learned. Uh, so he was trying to catch some of that, but he catches a known language, but in reverse. Um, Which but, is weird, but yeah. not impossible to learn. No, uh, but there, you know, his his portrayal in the film is, you know, he's so tortured with his uh, questions of faith and the loss of his mother mm-hmm. uh, and his guilt over that um, and um, and ev- everything the. Everything he has experienced and has spent his life doing, he's brought it's brought into question, mm-hmm. and you know it's a it, it's a very believable and um, rooted in reality performance that you know most of these kinds of movies just do not get, especially at this time. Yeah. Because they were usually just B movie schlock, um, and in this this movie was, you know, a piece of high art. This is a creepy masterpiece. Yes, it is. And creepy isn't even really the right descriptor for it, but it 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 works, I guess. Um, the the makeup effects and prosthetics and stuff are are artistic and horrifying mm-hmm. um, and you know there are visuals from this movie that are we sort of discussed a little earlier but they're iconic and they've been used over and over again both in horror movies and in comedy horror movies yeah comedy horror parody like the scary movie series yeah, that, has used a lot franchise. of them. um and, you know, the spitting of the pea soup and the head going around in a circle. Mm-hmm. The um, rising up mm-hmm. off the bed. Ooh. Yeah, and the, the, the sort of um, the eyes, the contact lenses in the eyes changing the color to something mm-hmm. that doesn't exist in nature. Uh, all, of, all of that has its roots. If not in The Exorcist, then they were better done by The Exorcist than what has, had been done before. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, this this movie is iconic in a way that, um, you know, other movies just dream about being the, having this kind of um, uh, level of of history and uh, honor and uh, influence. Influence. It's it's the kind of film that um, comes along once in a hundred years. As far as, especially in this genre, yeah, which is something that is so quickly churned out nowadays. Um, and while there's a lot of the Blumhouse 
horror movies that I enjoy, mm-hmm. um, they've also made a lot of crap. Um, yeah. And they get into the the sequel fever where, okay, that one made a bunch of money, so let's make another one just like it, slightly different, slap a two on the end of it, and can and can continue follow, to print money. Follow the formula. And for some of their franchises, that's worked out well. Uh, the Conjuring, for instance, is is a big uh, hit, and most of those movies are pretty good. Some of the spinoffs of those of that series mm-hmm. have not been all mm, that good. Not so much. No, but uh, you know, there's. Uh, like we talked about last week, when uh, by less is more mm-hmm. for Rosemary's Baby, um, you know, you you mentioned early on that this movie felt very long to you. It it meandered. Oh. It meandered. It was lengthy. Well, it is, uh, but I think part of that is to establish these characters. Yeah. To show us. You know, they're, granted, you know, Ellen Burstyn is this famous actress making a movie. But otherwise, uh, the people in the film are just going about their lives, their everyday lives, doing the things that they've always done. Uh, And we, I think they do that in part so that we can see what a huge... WTF all of this <laughs> stuff becomes. Yeah, and the contrast between everyday people and, oh, holy crap, it's the devil. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that what you at first consider meandering, I think, is just setting Foundation the mood. Laying. Setting the mood, setting the scene, so that they can then throw a devil-shaped monkey wrench into the works. So, I, I think that's what that is. Yeah. Um, so we should take a break. We should, and then we'll come back and talk a little more, a little bit more about The Exorcist, and uh, also uh, rate it. I don't know if you can tell this far in advance how we feel about it, but you know, maybe you can. Uh, but let it be a surprise. More after this. Welcome back to Comedy Tragedy Marriage. We are talking about The Exorcist from 1973. This is, however. What we watched was the 2000 re-release of the director's cut of The Exorcist. Um, it uh, has been a, um, it was a massive uh, money-making film. Um, it uh, had a budget in 73 of $12 million, which is a significant chunk of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, I guess this is uh, including all the re-releases and everything else worldwide. It has grossed $441 million. That is a return on investment. That certainly is. And, of course, it has done uh, huge business uh, in rentals when when that became a thing. Um, And also um, with, uh, you know, streaming services. I bought it. Uh, so they continue to make money off of The Exorcist. So, um, your first full viewing of The Exorcist, please tell me, what do you rate The Exorcist? Eleventy Creepies. Eleventy Creepies. Yeah. So you got past the whole it's kind of slow thing at first? Yeah, well, yeah. Again, as you said, it was 
foundation laying and um, character establishment. And we were, it was all backstory. Yeah. Um, it, it is lengthy. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, pause it, get a sandwich, go to the bathroom, do whatever you need to do. I don't recommend eating anything green. <laughs> or soupy. Or soupy. Um, th- this movie will still scare the bejeebus out of you. Mm-hmm. And that, that, a movie this old that is still that effective is a well-crafted piece of horror. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it is something else um, that the effects, which are all practical, of course, um, even some uh, stage magic is used, of course, to make her float and to, they used hydraulics to pop the bed up and down. I mean, if once you get into the behind-the-scenes stuff, it is... Um, um, you might be able to sleep. <laughs> Well, it is, uh, it, it makes more sense um, as far as, you know, how things were done. Um, like looking behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, it's. How many creepies for you? It's, well, it's, you know, it's just, it for how old it is, it still looks really good. It really does. Um, and uh, five creepies for me. And, um, you know, Ellen Burstyn was sort of a um, trailblazing role um, in this because, you know, she had all these doctors around her telling her that it's just her nerves or it's some sort of mental condition. She has a brain tumor. uh, Something or a lesion or something like that. And even though, and and when all the tests didn't show anything and they're still trying to say it's, you know, there's... uh, there's something wrong with her, but we don't know what it is. And then she put her foot down on numerous occasions mm-hmm. and said, "There's all of you people are useless. What is wrong with my daughter? I mean, she, she asserted herself in a way that women in film at that time, and is still relatively rare now. Were loath to do. Were, you know, you just didn't see it. And, um, you know, she, uh, she was going a bit against the grain um, for that particular um, time. That would have been a good role for Sally Field a few years later. Yeah. Can't, uh, uh, numerous people were uh, up for this role. Um, oh, do tell. Um, let me get back to it here. Um, give me just a second. It's okay. Um, no, it's not the page I wanted. I'm trying to think in 1973 who would have been interested in a role like this. Well, everybody would have been interested in it, but who would have been considered for it? Well, uh, some of the names. Uh, the studio wanted Marlon Brando for uh, Father Marin, eh. but Fried, the director, William Friedkin, knew that that would make it a Brando movie. A Brando film, yeah. So he, he did not want that. Paul Newman uh, also wanted to portray... Father Karras. That, that uh, would have been some interesting casting, I think. And Stacy Keach also was interested in playing Karras. That would have been interesting I, casting. I think, actually... Keach would have been better. Keach would have been better simply because he wasn't pretty. 
he he's got a, he's got the he face of a guy who's been in a fight or two. He was a different kind of pretty for sure. Uh, but uh, Friedkin saw Jason Miller playing, uh, following a performance of the play that championship season in New York, and asked to talk to him. Uh, uh, he'd never read the book, uh, and he left uh, Friedkin left him a copy, and then the rest is history. Yeah. Um, a list actresses that were considered at the time for the Ellen Burstyn role. Audrey Hepburn. Little long in the tooth at that point. Eh, I don't know. Uh, she said she'd really be willing to take the role, but only if the movie could be shot in Rome. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, the, yeah, and he said, eh, not so much. Make it cost too much, so no, we're, we're not going to do that. Um, Anne Bancroft was also looked to play uh, the role. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, she too was willing, but asked if production could be delayed nine months as she had just gotten pregnant. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, again, Freakin decided that her request, uh, declined her request as, uh, he could not wait that long. Um, and then Jane Fonda was approached to do the role. However, quote, she considered it, quote, a piece of capitalist ripoff bull bleep. <laughs> And she has been kicking herself in the A bleep ever since. <laughs> um, then, I don't know. Maybe not. She's been perfectly successful yeah, she's, and fine. She's been fine. Um, the writer of the book and the script, William Peter Blatty, suggested his friend, Shirley MacLaine. But, but Freakin was hesitant to cast her given her lead role in another possession film, The Possession of Joel Delaney, two years earlier. Hmm. Uh, Ellen Burstyn received the part after she phoned Friedkin and, and emphatically stated that she was, quote, destined, unquote, to play Chris. I can't argue with her. So, there's that. Um, but, yeah. Um, interesting. Now, there was another interesting piece of casting. A, an extra who had just a small part in the film. Oh, you. Uh, a guy named Paul Bateson. He plays the tech who is helping to run the MRI on Reagan when she is uh, when she's starting to show signs of acting weird, and, and they're trying and they're to diagnose trying her, to figure it out because her doctor thinks it's a brain thing. Uh, and he was an actual radiographer, uh, which helped to add some credibility you know, credibility to the scene. Um, he is. Also a serial killer. Um, Interesting. Uh, he, in 1979, uh, Bateson was convicted of the murder of film industry journalist Addison Verrill and sentenced to a maximum of 20 years in prison. He was released on parole in 2003. Now, he may not be a serial killer, but he's definitely a killer. Ew. Um, he was released on parole, which ended after five years. Prior to Batson's trial, Bateson's trial, police and prosecutors implicated him in a series of unsolved slayings of gay men in Manhattan, killings he had reportedly boasted about while in jail, bringing it, bringing it up at his sentencing. However, no additional charges ever were brought against him. He is still alive. Ew. Uh, so. That's a whole nother, like, creepy annex. Yeah, and... Uh, and this may be apocryphal, I'm not 100% sure, but I think the stuntman who went out the window uh, at, you know, 
who's supposed to be another character at the end of the film, mm-hmm. and rolls down the stairs. Mm-hmm. I think that stuntman died. There were a lot of creepy mishaps and unexplained things that were associated with the production of this movie, which you know, Google, Google, Google it. <laughs> uh. Well, one one thing I, I also and am not a hundred percent sure it's not apocryphal, but that um, the set caught fire, with the exception of Reagan's room. That set was not damaged. Dun, dun, dun. So you know, there's uh, there's always some level of of especially for horror films. There's always some level of uh, weirdness and supernatural yeah. and. Uh, cursed movie. Creepy, yeah, creepy lore associated. Yeah. Um, but uh, aside from um, the uh, killer, uh, an actual killer, um, I, uh, I'm i not, and again, I'm not sure those other two stories are 100% true, but um, yeah, there's, uh, you can attach any sort of weirdness to anything. Okay. Uh, have uh, you watched anything of interest of late? Of interest to me? Oh, yeah, well, sure. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So, months and months and months ago, I had gone on another TV nostalgia binge kick, and I was looking for a particular series to see if it was streaming anywhere, and it wasn't. And I had all the sads, yeah, because I wanted to watch it. So couple of weeks ago I went looking for the same series again found it on Hulu so I have been re-watching Allie McBeal Allie McBeal yeah I know it's like so much self-pitying entitled first world crap but <laughs> it's it's um, it's television that I actually ran in primetime um, when I was working for the local Fox affiliate mm-hmm and it takes me back to a very nostalgic place. And um, aside from um, the fashions are a little dated, the tech is a little dated, but in a lot of ways it was very forward-thinking television as far as some of the plot lines and that kind of thing are concerned. Um, I, I've been enjoying watching those. I will continue to watch those as I have opportunity. Also, last night, I stumbled across um, a movie from 1999 that I've heard about since 1999, never had the chance to watch, The Cider House Rules, with Tobey Maguire, Charlize Theron, um, Kathy Baker, Jane Alexander, um, and Michael Caine, Mm -hmm. and a cast of a bunch of other faces that you would recognize. Um, So I had the chance and actually laid in here... Um, in front of the TV and watched it and enjoyed it tremendously and um, it was really good. There's a, sh- there's a, a well-documented still shot, um, camera shot of a naked Charlize Theron lying backside up in, in a bed in the cider house um, that is just, she's just gorgeous. The back of her was just glorious hmm. in 1999. I'm sure it probably still is, yeah, but, probably, yeah. um, but it's just the way that it's lit and I'm sure that they had body makeup on her and stuff, but it, that, that Heine was glorious. Hmm. Um, <laughs> 
It, um, but it was a really sweet movie. Oh, and we get introduced to Erica Badu as an actor mm-hmm. in this in this film, and her her role is actually quite a pivotal um, plot point. There's a storyline with her and her father, portrayed by Delroy Lindo, that um, provides a seminal conflict for Tobey Maguire's character. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say any more because, you know, it's from 1999, but it could still spoil. Mm -hmm. But it was a very sweet movie. We also see a very young five-year-old Eric Pear Sullivan, who most people would probably recognize as the youngest kid in Malcolm in the Middle. He played youngest boy Dewey. And he, his face is very recognizable. He's just this adorable kid with these enormous big ears flapping off the side of his head. And, and it was just, his character was very sweet and made me cry. And um, it was just really good. All right. So that's it. I can think of nothing that I have watched out of the ordinary or that's really all that interesting. Um, we finished. I worked uh, a couple of late nights last week so my yeah. tv time was a bit limited we we got to the end of both love lovecraft country yeah we talked about that last week and um the vow mm-hmm. which the vow will pick up um in august i think they said of 2021 oh it's gonna be that long i, I didn't know so. if it was gonna be that long uh well and it just so happened um i saw on um Twitter, I believe, that in a few days, uh, Ranieri will find out what his sentence will be. So, In my very best, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Excellent. And I'm actually doing the thing with my fingers fingers, so you can see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Creepy dude. Very. Very. Um, So... Yeah, I not a lot going not on. Not a lot, not a lot going on, and we can't use any of our streaming services down here unless we watch them on a iPad. So, oh, dude, totally network destination must see TV happening oh, yeah. tonight. Yeah, the two-hour premiere of This Is Us on NBC at nine o'clock Eastern time with limited commercial interruptions. I will be all up on the couch, and you darest not speak a word. Unless yes, it's during commercial breaks. Well, I, I may be When you're here bringing hiding. me a sandwich or... Oh, oh. Uh, okay. Handing me tissues because I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to cry. <laughs> anyway, so like that's, that is huge on my radar for tonight. Otherwise, okay. we're looking at the lake and watching the clouds go by. Mm-hmm. And um, our where we're staying is under some... Renovation. Apparent renovation right now. So, like, Hector and Paul are <laughs> going up and down the scaffold, um, you know, periodically. by our window. <laughs> Good, just Hello. Flo- floating up, floating down real slow. Like, hey, fellas, how yeah. you doing? How you doing? <laughs> you need a sandwich? I don't know. Oh, well, no, um, I'm not giving them I'm a sandwich. I'm not giving them a sandwich. Because anyway. they probably make more money an hour than we do. Well, probably. Um, but, so- yeah, there's been a lot of uh, uh, cutting saws and hammering and and various other noises going on this week and you know what I don't care. that's fine uh i don't have this week we don't go to work and i look i'm perfectly happy um, looking at the lake watching the clouds go granted by. we haven't gone anywhere um 
this week yet. It's only Tuesday. I know, but you know how fast vacations go by, how long they take to get here, and you how, how fast they go by. how long podcasts go by, so we should probably wrap this one up. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we appreciate it. Again, another little uptick in downloads. We Ooh. thank you for that very much. Now, granted, our total number of downloads since we started probably doesn't add up to one second of, you know, Joe Rogan or... Uh, my favorite murder Those or any people. of that the real the real podcast but i still appreciate everybody we still appreciate everybody who who downloads and listens to our uh, meanderings and ramblings about stuff we've watched on tv or movies or whatever so thank cool. you for for doing that for taking the time and um you know uh join us next week when it will be mod's turn to select mm-hmm uh, obviously, doesn't have a clue what she's going to pick. Nope. Uh, and uh, also, if you have a suggestion for something for us to watch, you can send that to us in an email. Uh, all you have to do is tell us what it is you want us to watch, why you want us to watch it, and if you know where it can be found on any of the streaming services, send that to comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, and uh, like and subscribe. That way we, you know, granted, we are at, you know, if there is a list of one million podcasts, we're at 999,999 <laughs> on that list. But if we could move up just a little bit, that would make me so very happy hashtag fame whore exactly so go to apple Podcasts, give us five stars subscribe um and uh, or wherever you download the podcast we would appreciate a subscription so that as soon as we post one it will go to your phone or whatever uh item you use to listen um and um, i guess that's it so love you love you and until next time later, later. Yay!